We've been working through our series of real faith questions, uh, real questions people have, and, and we don't, we don't want to be a place where you can't bring your questions. We want to be a place where it's safe to ask real, genuine questions that you're, you're facing, that you're struggling with. And so this week, our question was, are we really not supposed to judge people? Are we really not supposed to judge people? Uh, and, and part of the implication already in the question is, is we assume judging's bad. We assume judging's wrong. And also we have some biblical texts that feel pretty obvious or apparent to us. And so um, you've probably heard someone say, in a church setting especially, uh, they've said, hey, do not judge. And you can quote Jesus on it. Beginning quote, do not judge, end quote. And you're like, okay, that feels like it settles it, right? Just, just never judge ever. Um, but part of the tension is we live in a world in which we have to make judgments all the time. Uh, we make judgments about safety, about, um, you know, if you have certain kinds of records of your, in your past, we might not consider you safe to work around children and say, sorry, you know, we, we have to make a judgment call and, and here's what we're going to do to go forward. And so we make judgments all the time, but, but the problem is, is many of us have had moments where judgment has felt really bad. And our, our feelings around judgments usually it makes us feel small. And uh, you might have had moments where maybe you had a job interview and the person asking you questions wasn't just like they were getting to know you, it felt like they didn't think highly of you, or you felt like you were really defending yourself and you're like, oh, like, man, this doesn't feel like it's going very well. Uh, or maybe you've been, you know, you've had a police officer who stopped you and asking you some questions and you'll, you feel like, I didn't do anything wrong, but the tone of the questions might, like, man, he must think I'm awful or something, like, what's going on here? Uh, and one of my favorite forms of these weird times that we get judgment and we, we feel that, that is around anytime you have a re new relationship and you go to see the other family, um, it's, it's this weird moment where everybody is doing a lot of internal processing. Who are you? Are you good enough for my son, for my daughter? You know, and there's this, this game going on of like, who are you? Are you worthy? Are you good enough? And I remember uh, for myself, uh, because it just feels like a caricature, it feels like a TV story, um, one of, uh, in, in high school, I had a girlfriend, I went to her house for the first time, you get address and you just show up, it's before Google had all of like, you could visually go anywhere you wanted to in the world, so you're just like, I have an address, I'm going to get to that spot, and um, you know, if, if you don't know me, my, my dad passed when I was small, and so like, we struggled through our high school years, make sure we can pay bills and like, we went to a small private school and we had people like me who just kind of struggled to make it through, where it was like your parents were sacrificing to get you there. Um, and then we had people who like their parents were vice presidents of phone companies. You know, and so like there's a big discrepancy uh, between financial situations. And so I show up at the address and it's a mansion. And you're like, do I even belong here, right? Like that, I mean, you can't help but already internalize for yourself. You're like, I, I probably don't belong here, right? And uh, the, the, the dad didn't make me feel any better about that. Uh, he was a, a uh, lawyer, and uh, he, he's, he took a shotgun out and cleaned it in front of me, which, which <laughs> felt like a joke, but it just really happened. Um, and you can just feel people's questions, thoughts, you can feel all that judgment. And so like for most of us, when we think about judging, we're, we're stuck on that spot where you know what it is to feel small. And so when you have a verse, especially when you're like, hey, don't judge, you're like, okay, that sounds like good news. 
And so one of my favorite moments of seeing that in Scripture, where we can understand a little bit of where that emerges from, is in the, in the letter to the church in Rome, Paul's writing to them, and he doesn't know them, so he's kind of laying out his case to them. And he's, he's greeting them, he says, hey, I, I want to tell you a little bit about my ministry, I want to tell you about the gospel. And he goes through this list of, uh, of how humans have gone astray, of all the kinds of sins that we go through, all the things that, you know, that God just leaves us to our own wills, and judgment kind of comes because God has just allowed us to go down the path that we're on. And so uh, to get the full weight of this, let me just read for you uh, his ending part of the very first chapter, where he, he concludes this first chapter with, Since people did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind and to things that should not be done, and they were filled with every kind of wickedness, evil, covetousness, malice, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, craftiness, their gossip, slanderers, God-haters, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, rebellious towards parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. They know God's decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, yet they do not only do them, they even applaud others who practice them. And at that part of the letter, the church in Rome is supposed to be like, yeah, you got them, Paul. Look at all of those sinners out there. Look at all the ways they're just doing all sorts of evil things, and they deserve to die. In the very next verse, Paul says, Therefore, you have no excuse, whoever you are, when you judge others. For in passing judgment on another, you condemn yourself, because you, the judge, are doing the very same things. And so Paul like, sets you up that you're like, yeah, God's going to bring judgment on those people. Look at all those evil things that they do. And then he says, wait, we're all messed up. We've all done things that deserve judgment. So who are you to judge? Who are you to, to say anything about those people? Uh, when, you, when you cast judgment on them, you cast judgment on yourself. And so Paul is acknowledging for us that, yes, judgment is deserved. Everybody deserves. We realize we never measure up fully. And therefore, judgments, it makes sense. Um, and so the gospel feels like hearing the good news that judgment that should be rendered is not rendered. And so it's easy to understand why when we have Jesus say, do not judge, that we say, okay, yeah, judging feels anti-gospel. Judging feels anti-everything that Christianity stands for. The only trick is life's never that easy. And the scripture is messier than that and our lives are messier than that. And so if we just end the quote from Jesus that do not judge, we kind of leave out the rest of what Jesus had to say about judging. And so let's hear from Matthew chapter 7 uh, the fullness of what Jesus says about judgment. Therefore, Jesus says, Do not judge, so that you may not be judged. For with judgment, the judgment you make, you will be judged. And the measure you give will be the measure you get. Why do you see the speck in your neighbor's eye, but you don't notice the log in your own eye? Or how can you say to your neighbor, let me take that speck out of your eye while the log is in your own? You hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your neighbor's eye. And so we see here, it's not so simple. It's not just, do not judge, end of statement. Uh, but something about the way that we judge, the way that we bring judgment into the world, we are going to experience back on us. Of Be careful. 
the way that you bring judgment, you open yourself up for judgment. And when you think about Paul, he's saying, we've all messed up. So know that when you bring judgment, you're inviting yourself to also receive judgment. And so there's that warning of if you're going to bring judgment, because sure, there might be a speck in the neighbor, but be careful because once you're inviting uh, judgment instead of just forgiveness, you're inviting your own inspection. And so it's not simply just never judge for any reason, but there is a, uh, a warning around just throwing judgment around and a, and a reminder to be introspective, to judge yourself a little bit better, to look in the mirror a little bit more instead of just looking out at the other across from you. And so why are you so worried about that speck? So your log. And what's interesting is Jesus says, like, go first, fix your thing, and then you can ask about the speck. But like, while you've still got the log in your eye, you've become a hypocrite. Uh, and so Jesus doesn't just completely say there's never any space for judging. It's just a warning around the way in which we go about it, and perhaps a warning for all of us. And so the, the messiness remains for us, okay? Well, when is it an appropriate time ever to judge? Like, when is it a good time in a church to judge? When is it, is, is there a good time? Can I get to a spot where I'm in a place where it's okay for me to ask questions of somebody else? And so uh, we might wonder that question, and I'm going to bring us back to Paul. Because Paul, one of the great things about Paul is he takes a lot of this theological stuff and then puts it into practical church conversation and real church drama like, if you felt like churches shouldn't have drama and it's unusual for churches to have drama, just read any of the Paul's letters. There's plenty of church drama uh, for 2,000 years. And so Paul writes to the church in Corinth, uh, and they've got a lot of challenges. He's got two long letters. He's written a lot to that community, and they've got a lot to work on. Um, but it might sound surprising here, the principle that Paul gives around judgment. Paul's going to say, and I'll read it for you so you can hear it in its kind of fullness in a second. Um, but Paul's going to basically say, don't judge anybody outside the church. Judge inside the church. <laughs> and that, that's going to feel a little bit weird for us. Like, why is the church supposed to be a place where judgment happens and the outside world isn't? Uh, and it's a little bit confusing, perhaps, at first. So let me read to you what he says here in 1 Corinthians 5, verses 9 through 13. Here's a great line. Paul says, I wrote to you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral persons. Dot, dot, dot. Because he goes on to say, not at all meaning the immoral of the world or the greedy or the robbers or idolaters, since then you would have to like, leave the world. Uh, and so what's fun here is he's saying, I wrote a letter to you. And I said, don't associate with sexually immoral people. And you took that as, I need to just stay away from sexually immoral people. Um, and Paul's like, no, no, if you did that about the world, we would just never interact with the world. I'm talking about people at church. <laughs> and so he says, but now I'm writing to you not to associate with anyone who bears the name of brother or sister, who is sexually immoral or greedy, or is an idolater, a reveler, a drunkard, or a robber. Do not even eat with such a one. For what have I to do with judging those outside? Is it not those who are inside that you are to judge? God will judge those outside. Drive out the wicked person from among you. Now, that's more precise, perhaps, than maybe what we were reading earlier. Um, but it might still leave you feeling a little uncomfortable. Like, 
why would you have two standards? Right? Like, if, if we're not supposed to judge, and you know, why is it we don't judge the outside world, but suddenly we're judging the inside world? And, and what does that even mean? Because like, at what point do you have to flip the switch over and you've been welcoming to this person and then suddenly judging this person? It's a little strange. Um, but one of the things I want to suggest is, is both for Jesus and Paul, power dynamics make a big difference. Like when Jesus was harsh with anybody, it was usually the religious leaders. It was people who had control and power over other people. And it's like, you should know better. Like you have a responsibility. Why are you allowing people to be hurt, to be harmed, to be, to be brought down? And so Jesus would have the harshest words for those religious leaders of like, hey, you're making life too hard on people. And Paul is, is dealing with people in church, and he's saying, if we want to make a community of love, of peace, of God's kingdom, and we want to open that to the world where people can be safe to come into that, uh, what we can't allow is for people to harm people inside those walls. So if you're going to be toxic, if you're going to, to uh, reject ever hearing instruction or, or, or calls to maybe change uh, from ways that are destructive, um, you're going to tear apart the place that is meant to be a safe refuge for the world. And so you've already experienced God's love, God's kindness, God's forgiveness. Why are you flaunting that about? And it might sound kind of harsh, because we probably are hearing this and we're thinking about the times where people nitpicked you in a church environment. And that's not at all what Paul's talking about. Paul's dealing with a church where he literally in this letter has to tell someone, stop sleeping with your stepmom. And that feels weird for us, but it's in the text. <laughs> that they're like, hey, if forgiveness abounds, if God's grace and mercy is so great, it's a little bit like, hey, everything goes. And Paul's like, hey, stop that. Like, God isn't gracious just so you can let everything go. God's, God's gracious to allow you to, to be restored, renewed, to be transformed, to make a place where that's possible. And so there's people that are abusing that grace, that mercy, that forgiveness, and they're using it to harm other people, to harm relationships, to destroy uh, friendships and, and families. And Paul's like, you can't just allow it. Because you could see how early Christianity, they're like, if grace abounds, like, I can't say anything about anything, right? Like, God's going to cover over that sin. What, who am I to say anything? And Paul's like, hey, take care of protecting people in this community. Uh, and so it seems kind of harsh, but when you think about the reality of, um, well, what can I say when sin abounds in my church situation? And we confront it and we say, hey, this isn't what God wants. Uh, what do I do? And so Paul's instruction is just to, to leave that relationship. Don't associate. Um, and that feels painful uh, because sometimes it feels painful to lose relationships. But Paul's advice is, is that's more important uh, than allowing the church to become a place of pain and a place of toxicity and, and, and harm for people. And so Paul offers this two-step process. Hey, don't worry about judging the outside world. Go preach good news, show God's love. But when you become a part of this community and when you, you're a part of this, this relationship uh, to each other and to God, um, don't, don't just flaunt... Uh, harmful activities and behaviors. And so they, par they part ways. And there's parts of Paul's letters where he says, hey, this person or that person, sorry, we just can't associate with them. Where there's pain in those moments is also when churches wrongfully make those judgments. 
where someone has wrongfully been accused, when they've been wrongfully pushed out. And so thankfully, no matter what the dynamic is, God is the final judge. And so there's a protection and a safety around. Even in the midst of visible pains, you can still run to God and still run to God with some mirrors in front of yourself, still do some introspection, look for the log in the eye, that like maybe they had a point. Maybe we both had points. Uh, and so even if there has to be some distancing between you and, and somebody that you care for, um, what is it to still find your hope in God's forgiveness and judging process? I want to give you an image. I think part of this judging word gets tricky because there's a lot to that word. It's a, an elastic word that has a lot of range of meanings. But if you think about judging um, in a court process, because that's where our brains usually go, um, there's different moments in that process. So to decree a sentence, like the sentencing phase, is a very different phase than the examination phase, where you're assessing and you're asking questions and you're, you're wondering what actually happened. It would be helpful for us to remind ourselves that we're going to leave God to the sentencing. Let God make the rulings and the final judgments. Uh, and when we are critiquing, when we are questioning, when we're trying to check for, is something safe, is it harmful, uh, to be a part of the examination process. Um, but that ultimately, we are not the final verdict givers. And it, it's something that's kind of a little bit in the text, but it's hard to see. Uh, there's a couple different words for judge in the New Testament and in the text that we read, particularly in the text that we read from Paul. Uh, and so one of those, just krino, is just regular judgment, um, and it might be sentencing. Uh, but then sometimes in Greek, they add a prefix to a word, and it changes the meaning. The, the best way I could explain that in English is the difference between uh, I run or I outrun. Suddenly adding out to the front of run gives a lot of different connotation. And so in Greek, if you add on a krino versus krino, you're getting into the space more of asking questions, deliberating, examining. And so if you're, if you're thinking about how do I discern, how do I judge, try to figure out how to make sure that you're in a space where you're trying to examine what is good, what is not good, what is harmful, without saying you are good or you are bad, you are evil, uh, and making final judgments on people. And so I think with all of the questions in our series, I don't want to resolve them because they're not, they're not able to be easily resolved. There's always a tension for all of our questions. And I think the tension in this question is, part of it is, where, on the, where is that line between uh, grace and critical examination? Uh, between outside, don't judge them, and inside, bring some level of judgment and discernment. Um, and there's a lot of murkiness and gray area in the midst of that. Um, but what is it to, to use wisdom? And I think that's one of the images I want to leave you with is, what is it to bring wisdom to judgment instead of a rule book to judgment? Because a rule book, you're just trying to define this equals that. And it doesn't take into account all of the nuance of someone's life or their experience or the situation. And you're just trying to simply find this person's inside or outside based on the rules. And we've already read from Paul, like, the rules say we have all messed up. The rules don't work as a great tool for us here. 
So what is it to look for wisdom in how we assess and how we, how we make decisions in our life? Um, and I think that one of the beauties of, of language is its elasticity. And the psalm we read from earlier during the prayer time said, hey, God, give me judgment. Give me good judgment. I w- Lord, I, teach me. Maybe think about like um, Solomon. Like, give me wisdom, you know. But that, that word for give me judgment, give me good judgment uh, from that psalm is a word that means judgment but also means taste. Like, help me be a good taste tester of, of good and evil, like where I understand through experience, through closeness, through proximity, not through the cold calculations of I hear from afar about your situation and I make decisions on whether you're good or bad, but like what is it to, to try to understand and to experience, to be close to you, and then use wisdom. And so I hope that we can be people who are seeking God's wisdom instead of uh, throwing rule books at people. And if you can think about what is it to to interact around uh, wisdom instead of rules, of what is it to to meet someone and not evaluate them just by their job status, just by their education level, their, their bank account, but to get to meet the person and just to get to experience somebody. And what is it to, to hear someone's pain and hear how they're responding to it, and instead of making quick decisions about you're right or wrong, but to kind of walk with them, understand someone a little bit better. And there's plenty of people who have experienced pain, and they experienced churches that said, um, so let's talk about marriages. People who were experiencing abuse in marriages, and they had churches telling them, uh, well, the only rule book we can find about divorce is around sexual immorality. You don't fit this rule book, therefore you should stay in it. And that's an example of using a legalism and a rule book as opposed to wisdom about what is loving and good in the midst of pain. And so, when it comes to this question, are, are we really supposed to judge or not? Uh, or how could we ever even not judge? We just naturally do it. Uh, it's an invitation to reflect on what way you bring discernment and judgment into your life. Uh, ask for God's wisdom, for a personal touch to that, and not just a rule, rigid legalism. And so, what do I hope you hear today? I, I do hope, I mean, we're kind of focused on that internal struggle. But I do hope that we remind ourselves, or if you've never heard it, that the good news of the gospel is that while we all could be judged for all of our mess-ups, that God actually is the loving God who you can run to. You know, the, the, the prodigal son is such a, a beautiful parable uh, that you could be just like running through a playlist in your head of how can I apologize what low level of acceptance might I get from God? And all the while, God is running to you, and God is embracing you, God is loving you. And so like, that's the way God is in the world. So how does that shape the way that we go about our lives, that we bring love and forgiveness and mercy in the midst of our, our own situations? So I, I want to invite you to pray about, God, just give me wisdom. Whatever situation you're struggling with, just, God, give me wisdom about this situation. And sometimes that wisdom is, when do I need to separate from this situation, from this person, from this 
this place because it's, it's a place that's breeding harm and pain and, and we have to make some division and separation, not because it's a good thing, but because it's a healthy thing uh, to survive. But also give me wisdom so that I might know how to be merciful, know how to be better at forgiving, know how to be better at loving. Because that's like our default, is we're so critical. Like what is it to be shaped by, how do I bring good wisdom to forgiveness to people around me? And so one of the best ways to foster wisdom in your life is to spend time reading the Bible daily, praying daily. Uh, That psalm, one of the beauties of it is like he's saying, hey, God, give me good wisdom, good judgment. And he's talking about how much he loves God's teaching, God's instruction. Like, what is it to be shaped by reading God's word, shaped by uh, coming to God and hearing God's perspective instead of just our own? And so if you're struggling with any relationship, any situation, what is it to just go to God and, and talk about it with God and discern what God has for you? And while we often like simple answers, uh, wisdom is not the simple answer. It's not the simple resolution. It, it, it's a way of faith. It's a way of discernment that has to tap into God's love and God's spirit. And so I hope that uh, you can spend time just sitting and dwelling in that spirit and reflect on how that calls you to move going forward. And so maybe we can all just pray and invite God to grow God's spirit and of love and joy and peace and patience and all of the fruits uh, and that that might blossom over. And then we might also cherish that and protect and, and keep uh, the harm that sometimes comes inside our, our families, our schools, our workplaces, our churches. Um, and I do just want to say a word of peace for those who have had to make hard judgments, uh, where you've had that relationship that you've had to separate from, where you've had that relationship that it wasn't healthy anymore. Um, know that, that God loves you and know that the pain of that, that separation, uh, it's understandable. Uh, and God is willing to sit there with you in the midst of that pain. I think God, part of that prodigal son parable that's beautiful is that the father understands the pain of the son running away and God knows what that feels like. And so I hope that you feel God's presence as you seek God's wisdom this week. Would you pray with me? Lord God, we ask for forgiveness for all the times where we've messed things up, where we've fallen short of your love, where we've fallen short of your kindness. Lord, we ask your forgiveness. Lord, help us to be a people who appreciate and are thankful for that forgiveness and that love. Let us be people who are quick to to love and forgive. Lord, we ask that you might help us to uh, use good judgment, be wise in your ways. Lord, let us hope for your good judgment, not wishing ill on those whose paths we separate from, but wishing your blessings and your good ways that we might all grow up into the people that you have made us to be. Lord, we love you and we thank you, and it's in your name that we pray. Amen.